if I'm thinking about the first skill that I really decided I was going to master, I think that was learning a backflip. And so that happened when I was six years old and I was watching TV and I saw this movie where Jackie Chan did a backflip and I thought to myself, wow, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen anybody do. I must learn how to do this. What up, what up, what up, and welcome to the very first Cliff Weitzman podcast. My name is Cliff Weitzman, and I'll be your host today and for the rest of this interesting podcast, where we go into startups, original life philosophies, productivity hacks, extreme productivity, extreme perseverance, and so much more. Um, today, I am lucky to have next to me Matt Figdor. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing amazing. How are you? I'm doing great. And so just because this is the very first podcast, I'll give a little bit of background on who I am. So my name is Cliff. I am the founder and CEO of a company called Speechify out here in San Francisco. I went to Brown University where I studied renewable energy engineering. I also built about 36 products when I was an undergrad, um, but got very lucky to be working on Speechify full-time today with our team here. I listened listen to 100 audiobooks a year, and I've done so for the past 12 years. I do a lot of backflips, and I think a lot about life and the world and how to live a good life. The most interesting thing about me, though, is the man sitting next to me right now. Um, he's one of my favorite people. His name is Matt, and he works with us here at Speechify. And the story of how Matt and I actually met is quite interesting. Yeah, so I was on YouTube. I came across Cliff's talk from Brown about how he built 36 products. Um, watched the whole thing, watched the Q&A. It really resonated with me. And then I reached out to Cliff from there. And Matt, what resonated with you about the talk? Oh man, it was just great advice, piece after piece after piece, like on how to build products and how to make things happen. Cool. And so one of the really cool things that happened in how Matt and I met is after watching that video, he did something that few people actually do, which is take my advice. Um, and one of the things that I highly recommend is if you see someone who's interesting, reach out to them. And so he did that. Um, and so Matt sent me a Facebook message saying, hey, I really resonated with this. I'd love to work with you guys. Are you taking interns? And I said, no. But Matt did not take no for an answer easily. And so he sent me his resume and asked me for some life advice. And so we started chatting um, and I looked at it and he looked amazing, right? Excellent scores in all his tests and um, built a bunch of really cool products. He was an Eagle Scout. I could see he loved reading books. And then as we talked, it became clear that he started listening to audiobooks like a madman um, and developed so many original life philosophies of his own. It was very clear how much fire in the belly and how hungry he was to learn and grow. And so initially he didn't have the experience that we needed at Speechify, but I said, hey, why don't you try these two courses online? Um, and so over the course of a winter break, he took two iOS development courses, crushed them, and I was extremely impressed. I also connected him with another teammate of ours, uh, Simeon, who's one of the best mentors anyone could ask for. And then Matt went ahead and actually built a mini version of Speechify. And after he did that, I said, okay, it doesn't matter that, that you don't have that much experience, come work with us anyway. Um, and over the past time that I've gotten to spend with Matt in person, we've had a lot of exceptionally interesting conversations. And so I thought, who would be better to have with me on this first podcast, especially as we're trying to get it off the ground. And so what's happened often is Matt asks me a lot of interesting questions. And so he's collected some of those and we're going to run with those on this podcast so that we can share some knowledge. So Matt, I'm going to hand the hosting duties to you. All right. Awesome. Let's do it. Um, we're not going to waste any time here. All right, so are you ready for the first question? I'm ready. Let's go. All right, Cliff, what motivates you? Okay. We're starting deeply. So, Dale Carnegie, who's one of my favorite authors, he writes uh, How to Make Friends, write about, writes about this idea that 
The two main things that motivate people often are sex and the desire to be great. And so for me, the inside my heart, the desire to be great is very, very strong and has been that way ever since I was a little boy. So when I was in preschool, I wanted to be prime minister of Israel, a billionaire and a pop star. I'm originally from Israel. Still want to be a pop star and that'll happen one day, um, but less interested in politics, more interested in creative, creating value than being a billionaire. But from a really young age, I just, I, I wanted to do stuff and I wanted to build stuff. And the thing I think that still to this day makes me love both writing music and creating value in the world and creating things is just a big desire to build stuff and a big desire to improve other people's lives. And so I think that those are the two overarching things that really drive me. The other one is experiencing love with other people and elevating the quality of life of other people around me. And aside from that, there's like small things that excite me. Like I, I like doing gymnastics and I like doing a bunch of other random things, but those are the two most important ones. Why are those the most important things you can do? Love is one of the things that motivates me the most because if I look at my parents, who are two of the people who I admire the most, it's very clear to me that that has been the thing that has given them the most satisfaction in life. And if I reflect on my life as well, I'm 24, so not that much experience yet. The moments where I felt the greatest amount of satisfaction is when I am seeing my little brother succeed in something that he's worked towards for a long time, or if I'm spending like really good quality time with my mom or a good friend of mine um, or a significant other. And so love has always been the thing that has given me the most happiness, both in the short term, but also satisfaction in the long term. With regards to creating value, I first managed to identify this for myself as something that really mattered to me when reading an essay by Emerson called On Wealth. And in that essay, he talks about uh, the man who invented the steam engine, Thomas Savory, as one of the examples. And basically what Thomas Savory did in that situation is apply his thoughts to matter, rearrange atoms in a certain way, and take a bunch of scrap metal pieces that were on the floor of his garage and turn them into a steam engine. That's a ridiculous thing that he just did there, right? Now you're able to pump water from the base of a well, you're able to create energy using, uh, using an engine, and then you can multiply that value that he created in that specific unit um, and multiply it times a thousand times. So everybody in a vicinity can use it and then multiply it times a million times so everybody in the world can use it. And that is one of the closest things that humans are able to do to magic. The idea that the amount of resources in the world are not a lump sum, but something that you can add value to is incredible to me. Not a zero sum, but something you can add value to is something that is incredible to me and gets me really excited. With that in mind, what would you say your ideal self is or who is that person? I want to be good hearted and someone who makes other people's lives better. And I want to be someone who is capable of doing things that are seemingly impossible, I guess. Um, so setting really, really big, hairy, audacious goals for myself and then accomplishing them. I, I think a good example for the type of things that like, what I see myself doing is um, there's this idea that I thought about for a while since I was young about how cool it would be to create, invent fire. And so right, if you think about when fire came on the scene, that was a huge change in how everybody's lives happened. And so that's a... a, a discovery in natural sciences. But since then, we've had other big discoveries, not many to the same level, but for example, the invention, even before that, the invention of language um, or the invention of penicillin or the internet, whatever it might be. Um, I think it would be super cool to be able to invent something of that magnitude. Improving other people's lives, it's a way of loving other people. It's a way of, of doing that kind of at scale. All right, that's phenomenal. So in order to create that kind of value, you probably have to 
become really good at a certain set of skills. Can you talk a little bit about how to develop and master a skill and why you would seek to do that? Sure. So there's an array of different skills that I've gotten good at over time. Right, some of them apply to startups, right? So it might be um, programming, it might be design, it might be pitching. Some of them have nothing to do with it, right? Like freestyle rapping or playing soccer, like parkour, etc. If I'm thinking about the first skill that I really decided I was going to master, I think that was learning a backflip. And so that happened when I was six years old and I was watching TV and I saw this movie where Jackie Chan did a backflip and I thought to myself, wow, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen anybody do. I must learn how to do this. And so I got my mom to sign me up for a capoeira class and then that turned into gymnastics and then we moved to the United States when I was 12 and it became too expensive to do gymnastics. So I watched a bunch of YouTube videos of how to do backflips and every time I saw anybody do a backflip, I would ask them, where did you learn how to do that? And one day I was sitting in the park and like three fences down in a yard, I saw somebody do a backflip. So I like quickly got up, ran, jumped all these fences, and I was like, wait, don't, don't, where did you learn how to do that? And so that person was probably the 20th person I'd asked that question to across the past year, told me he learned it at a rec center um, and told me the address. And so I went there because they didn't have a website. And I discovered that there was this place and you could come there after school every day and they would let you train on these mats for very, very cheap, sometimes even free. And so I started biking to this place three, miles away from my house after school every day. And I would visualize what it would feel like to be able to do a backflip. And I was very small when I was a freshman in high school. I was like 5'2", freshman year, 5'3", sophomore year. Um, For context, I'm not 5'10". And so most of the work that I had to do was kind of build up the strength, but also learn the technique and then get over the fear. And every time I'd walk down the street and I'd visualize like a drop in the song and then I'd want to do a backflip. And eventually I got it. And so the things that really helped me in that was one, being very persevering about asking other people for resources who were able to do that skill very well. Number two was, if you notice the story, I learned how to do a backflip eventually when I was like 14, but I started when I was six. And so if you have something that you're truly passionate about, and for context, after learning a backflip, I learned how to do a bunch of other things, so now I'm pretty good at jumping around. Um, If you have something that you're really passionate about, always have it at the back of your head and don't let it go. Even if challenges come up, like you sprain an ankle or you move countries or it's expensive, find a way around it. Um, Even now when I lived in San Francisco, I used to go all the way down to Stanford, even though the drive was long because it was a priority of mine to do parkour and gymnastics. So that's like an example of one skill. Another skill is, and this I really had trouble with, was getting good at computer science. So I'm very dyslexic and so it's difficult for me to read. It takes a lot of energy for me. Um, My little brother, Tyler, is very much not dyslexic. And so he started coding when he was in third grade and built 30 iPhone apps by the time he was 17 and went to Stanford and did math and CS. For me, like I could, I would misspell the same variable four different ways in the same program. And so everything would break. And so I tried many times in high school to get into coding. I did not succeed. I started doing hackathons without knowing how to code. And eventually I realized, okay, I really like this building stuff, but I need to learn how to code. And so I signed up for the intro CS class at Brown. It was extremely hard for me. It took me five hours to do something it would take a normal person an hour to do. But I decided this is something I'm learning how to do. It's vital. So what I would do is I would take a bag of uh, sliced bread from the dining hall and I would turn it into eight peanut butter sandwiches. I would take it with me to the uh, computer science lab and I would just sit there, code, 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 
go outside, eat a peanut butter sandwich, do that again, Coca Code, eat a peanut butter sandwich, and I would do that from 8 a.m. until 2 in the morning every day for two months. Um, and very frequently, I'd fall asleep on that desk. Uh, but finally, I got to the point where I could tell the difference between a bug that happened because um, I had a spelling mistake and a bug that happened because it was just a normal bug. Um, and after that, I started getting better at computer science. Um, and then later, the place where I really got good is I found these series of online courses by this guy called Rob Percival on Udemy on how to build iPhone apps and websites. And the special thing about them is that they're video-based courses. So it's about 24 hours of videos. You build 19 projects starting at Hello World and finishing at building clones of Instagram, Snapchat, Tinder, Uber, etc. Um, and for me, the difficult part was spelling for variables, etc. And it was difficult to skim through documentation. And being able to watch this video was very, very helpful. Um, and so that's an example of like a skill that I mastered there. Phenomenal. So you have all these skills. What makes you, or what incentivizes you to master these skills? So the thing that incentivizes me to master these skills is I have in my brain a very good kind of vision of who I want to be. And if I try to like, visually describe it as this dude that's standing on top of a mountaintop with like his hand up in some sort of flag, I don't know. He's got like a, a big chest and there's like a group of people who are following him, um, but everybody's happy and everybody's smiling and there's like an amount of abundance there. And this guy who's at this top of the, the top of this hill, he's got it figured out. He knows, what he, he knows which direction he wants to go in, he knows which direction he wants to lead the rest of the team in. Um, and for me, just for my, my own life, like I want to understand what makes me happy and what, what life is about. And so that's why in college I ended up taking a lot of classes in philosophy. It's why I read a lot of philosophy independently, but also read fantasy books and nonfiction books and spend like half of my time reading biographies of people who I do admire, who are archetypes of people who have succeeded in building their lives into being um, kind of this person. Um, and oftentimes in order to do the things that I want to do, to turn myself into the person that I want to be, I need to master specific skills. And sometimes there's skills that I suck at. Um, and often, for example, with reading, I still to this day am very bad at reading. And so I spent all this time trying to learn how to read and it was not a fun experience. Um, and I never succeeded, but I tried everything. And finally, I got discovered audiobooks as, a, as an alternative way um, of getting around the problem. And then that didn't solve the problem fully. And then I ended up working on Speechify and now I have this great text-to-speech software that lets me read anything I need to. Um, so why do I work on mastering these skills um, with such passion? It's because I want to be able to do things and sometimes they require the skill. That's great. So you mentioned earlier um, how there are a lot of people you admire. Um, can you give some examples of those people or what qualities in them you admire? Sure. Um, so let me try and avoid saying people that people would usually mention, like Elon Musk, for example. I love Elon Musk, but... Um, well, the number one example of people who I admire are my parents. So my parents emigrated from the United States, sorry, from Israel to the United States when I was 13, 12. Uh, they have five kids and they did it with like quite a bit of financial difficulty. But the most amazing part is they raised us with so much unconditional love. My parents taught me so much when I was young. And if you look at all my siblings, like all of them are such happy, well-adjusted kids who are like thriving. Um, and so I really admire my parents for that. 
Other people I admire include Theodore Roosevelt, who, if you haven't read the biography of Theodore Roosevelt, I highly recommend it. Um, it's called The Rise of Theodore Roosevelt, and then there's two other volumes in that series. And I admire him because I, I think he really embodies a hero's journey. So he starts as like the small kid who is astigmatic, um, and then just like sits in this dark room and just reads, 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 reads his entire childhood. And it builds, he literally does exactly what I described. He builds himself into, himself into the man that he wants to be, and then succeeds in making all this incredible change on the world, like being the person who makes national parks into a thing in the United States and cleaning up the police system in New York, um, New York state and so many more things that he succeeded in doing. And by the time he was like 24, he was one of the most well-known natural scientists and taxidermists in the United States, etc. And so in him, I admire his perseverance. I admire his passion for learning. I admire his passion for building himself up and making himself the best person that he can be um, and his desire to improve the world around him. So pretty similar to the things that I said I yeah. want to be able to do, my, but do myself. Uh, another person who I greatly admire is Lin-Manuel Miranda, who is the producer, author, lyricist, uh, main actor in the musical Hamilton, which I think is a work of genius. Son of a whore and a Scotsman Dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot Never before did I realize how impactful a piece of art could be on a person. And so when I first heard Hamilton, I cried on the way to class and then immediately found a piano, learned how to play it, wrote like three other songs inspired by, by Hamilton. Um, and so initially I started being a fan of Lynn just because his work is so incredible. But then... I learned the story of how he started Hamilton. So he actually wrote his first play in college and then founded a production company and got on Broadway and won a bunch of incredible awards for that. And then w read the biography of Hamilton while on vacation and thought, wow, this needs to be a Broadway play. And so he wrote that play across about seven years and then got that on Broadway. So he, that was like when he was late twenties, early thirties. Um, and it just resonated with me so deeply. And he recruited all the rest of the crew. He made sure that it was a diverse crew. Um, even after Hamilton, he knew when to say, okay, I'm, I'm, this is the point where I'm going to stop, replaced himself in the play, and then went and did a bunch of other stuff and fought for equality in Puerto Rico and, and championed so many, um, so many causes, but also does everything with such empathy and a smile and happiness. Um, so that's someone who I very much admire. And one other person I'll say who is, in my opinion, often underlooked is Arnold Schwarzenegger. So he also has an incredible biography, which I highly recommend. So Arnold Schwarzenegger moved to the United States when he was, I think, about 18. So he w was born in Austria right after World War II, which was a very devastated place economically. And he said, I am going to go to America. And everyone was like, no, you're not. And he's like, no, no, I am going to go to America. And I was like, okay, Arnold, like, stop acting weird. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm going to do it. And then he said, I'm going to do it by being the best bodybuilder ever in the world. And like, okay, Arnold, sit down, stop. What are you doing? And then he did it, right? He, he did everything he could. He trained, he ate, um, he got drafted to the military, and he snuck out of his military barracks to participate in the Mr. Olympia contest and got thrown in military prison for doing it, but he won first place. And then he credited the Austrian military with being the reason why he won it, and so the Austrian military really liked him, so they moved him to the kitchens, allowed him to train more, eat more, etc. finally got someone to fly him out to the United States, while in the United States, took accent reduction classes, put himself in community college, started a real estate business that made him wealthy independently, became indeed the number one bodybuilder in the world, 
And then after that decided, oh, I'm going to be the number one movie star in the world. And everyone was like, no, you're not, Arnold. Like, you're freakishly large and you have an accent that makes you sound like a machine. Um, and then he was like, nope. And I only will accept roles as the, as the hero. And they're like, no, you'd be a great villain. That's the only role that you could play. I was like, no, only the hero. And so he was not strapped for cash because he already made money off of real estate and off of Mr. Olympia. Um, and eventually he got Conan the Barbarian and other roles and then the Terminator, which was the biggest action hero role at the time. And then he decided, okay, now I'm going to be governor of California and improve the education system there. And he did that too. Um, and so it's a good example, again, of someone who, one, really cares about self-learning, mastered like four different completely different categories, uh, but also employs a lot of perseverance in different fields. So you just named a ton of different people in a variety of different fields who continually improved themselves and even reinvented themselves in different ways. What can you do right now to improve yourself? So if I think about my life and the areas in which I want to grow, the number one by far category is actually an interesting one because it's not it necessitates personal growth, but my number one priority is to grow my company. And so it's interesting that sometimes in life, you spend time working on yourself. And for example, when you're in school, you're there learning. But you're, when you're outside in the real world, you spend most of your time creating value. And so my number one focus is creating value through the company I work on, Speechify. That being said, as CEO of that company, my number one, uh, like one of my favorite things about being a founder, being a CEO, is your number one job is to learn, right? You need to learn how to fundraise, you need to learn how to hire, you need to learn how to code, you need to learn how to talk to users, you need to learn how to achieve product market fit, et cetera. And so that's something that I'm doing constantly. And so recently I finally learned how to hire very successfully, um, but in a way that works really well for me. Um, and before that I did it for coding, product, fundraising, et cetera. Um, and so number one is I wanna grow to be the best CEO that I could be. And so the way in which I do that is, one, I have a CEO coach, which is very helpful. Um, I regularly look at what, what my goals are and I, I see if I hit them or not. And if I don't hit them, I write down a habit that I'm going to commit to to make sure that I don't make the mistake that I made in the past. Um, and I constantly reevaluate and see, okay, are my goals correct? Um, and what can I change in order to be better? Um, I also surround myself with other founders who I highly admire, um, who are my age, maybe a little bit older, maybe a little bit younger, um, and see how they do things and then get inspired by what they do. Um, and so I think every day I talk to at least one or two other founders and, and sync on, on how they're doing stuff because you want to constantly be updating. And in addition, I have other mentors who are, who are older than me and have done it before. And so I, I take a lot of inspiration from them. And the second way in which I want to grow and improve is athletically. So um, I am lucky to have a couple of friends here who, like one of my friends, Nick, is a two-time U.S. national champion in gymnastics. Another one of my friend, Paul, is the smartest person I know when it comes to nutrition and how to lift. Um, and so I exercise with them usually, and they push me to, to be better in whatever I'm working on. Um, I want to get really good at freestyle rapping. Uh, part of that is inspired by Lynn Miranda, and part of it is just I really like writing music, and I think that the style of being able to tell an interesting story off the top of your head that is lyrically composed is really interesting and cool. Um, the final, so there's many, many more. Uh, I'd say the final one in which I want to get really better um, is I actually want to take more risks than I currently am. Uh, I recently really listened to a really good podcast by Taylor Offer called The Anti-Startup Startup. And one of the topics they spoke about is this idea of uh, making farm bets. So the idea is you, you make a move and you bet the entire farm. Um, and I feel like right now in my life, 
company is going well, I, I'm learning a lot, I'm in a comfortable place, and there's not actually enough risk here. Um, and so I want to find ways of introducing more risks into my life so that I can have more leverage to grow. Uh, I don't know how I'm going to do that, but that's now that I have it in my head, when I'm randomly having like conversations with strangers or people who I think are smart and interesting, I'll bring up that topic and the fact that we're talking about it will result in me thinking about it more, but often it also result in them giving me advice um, that is useful. So a lot of the ways that you mentioned that you're growing yourself are by talking to other people, working with other people who have skills in those areas. How do you find those people? So one thing that I will actually mention before answering how do you find those people is each person learns a different way. And so for me, I happen to learn really well by listening. I also learn really well by talking. And the two are actually very different. So listening, right, I listen to a lot of audiobooks really fast, and so I've built up that skill. And so I can intake information very easily. When I speak, it's actually interesting that I learn when I speak because I often have to rearrange the information in my mind in a more efficient way. And so often I'll say something, I'll be like, huh, I never thought about that before in that context. And then that is useful and often results in me making a better decision. Uh, but if you talk to really smart people, they'll ask you really smart questions that you didn't necessarily think about asking yourself. For example, the questions that you have been asking me. Um, and so that's always something that's useful. Now, how do we find these people? So one thing that I actually consciously think about is one of my goals in life is to maximize the love in my life, whether it be with family, significant other, friends, etc. And I literally find every opportunity I can if there is an event where they pick the top X number of people, especially if they cover travel so that it's completely meritocratic. And I will always go there and try to meet everybody and make friends with as many people as I can and identify the people who I resonate with the most and who are the most interesting. And so what I've been lucky to do is I did that a lot in college. My junior year, I had maybe like 23 flights sponsored by some event. My senior year, like 24 flights. Um, and so I got to make friends from most universities in the world, from every single continent and many of the countries um, who are interested in different fields, but also just like fascinating, fascinating people. Um, and so I'll give like one quick example. One of my really good friends, Simmer, I met him because I was visiting another friend at Stanford um, and it, I heard that there was this interesting talk and so I went to the talk and he was pitching at this talk and I thought, wow, this is like one of the most interesting people I've ever met. And so I went up to him at the end and I was like, hey, I'm just visiting, you wanna, you wanna grab coffee or something? I, I wanna, I actually, I wrote notes on how he could improve his talk and I offered to, to tell him how he could do that. Uh, but he was really busy because he was talking to a lot more people and said, okay, we'll meet up later. Um, and right before I left that day to fly back to Brown, I said, hey man, great to meet you. I gotta go, but let's sync up later. And he's like, actually, if you're free, I'm free for 15 minutes. So we sat down for 15 minutes and we started to chat and we really resonated. And so when I went back to Brown, we set up a Skype call and then we set up another one. And what ended up happening is we talked for an hour, hour and a half every week for the next year. And Simmer became one of my best friends. Um, and this happened to me with another person from Stanford, Chris Barber. And with Chris, it was more condensed. Over one summer, we would speak three times for an hour a day um, three times a week. Um, so we would speak three hours a week every day for several months. And then we continued that into the semester and he became one of my closest friends. Um, and sometimes I'll see someone online or it could be a, a YouTube video or Facebook or whatever. And I'll be like, ha, huh, that person's really cool. And so I'll find them on Facebook or I'll find their email and I send them an email saying, hi, I'm Cliff, nice to meet you. And then I'll say like two lines about 
who I am um, and why I'm interested in them and what I appreciate about them. And then say, hey, would you be free to meet up to go to the gym, go for coffee, like uh, talk on the phone, et cetera. And often you'll end up connecting with that person. And in that conversation, what's really important to think about is you want that person to, you win the conversation if you do 20% of the talking and they do 80% of the talking. So what you want to do is ask them, where are you from? Why are you doing the things that you're doing? Literally the questions that Matt is asking me right now. So you can discover who they are, learn about them, and they'll feel good about talking about themselves. Um, and then you'll get more information. Right, amazing. So we're going to switch gears a little bit. You've talked a lot about creating value, and now you're working at Speechify. Why is Speechify the number one way you can create value right now? So there's a lot of different things that I could be working on right now, and I'm not only working on Speechify because it is the only thing that could create value. A lot of different things could. So the first reason why I'm working on Speechify is because it's something that I'm deeply passionate about, right? Like I'm super dyslexic. Most of my learning comes from listening to audiobooks, and so it's something I really care about. And if I didn't build it, nobody else would. The second reason I'm working at Speechify is the timing is very, very good. Um, right around the time I was considering working on this, I started reading AI papers about the application of deep learning to text-to-speech, and it became clear that in about 18 months, 24 months, um, we would get to the point where we could instantly create human-level quality speech, and indeed, that's what we're seeing happening right now. Um, now, I could be working on crypto, I could be working on like computational neuroscience, I could be working on biotechnology, I could be working on like uh, renewable energy, and indeed, I actually had a company I was working on that built a solar cell before I worked on Speechify. And the reason I decided not to continue with that and indeed switch to this is I knew that if I wanted to build a physical product like that, it would take me seven years to actually bring to fruition and have on the market. Um, and I know myself and I don't have that level of patience. And I also know myself that in all the other past projects that I worked on, the grass on the other side always seemed greener and someone thing would be more shining in, in the corner and I would switch and I knew that whatever I picked to work on full-time after I graduated school needed to be something that I could focus on and work on for the next 10 years. And because of the connection that I have to this problem, nothing else, even when things got tough and other things became interesting, and even actually if I had all the money in the world and I didn't need to make money off of this company, if I had all the money in the world, this would be the first thing that I would want to work on. Why? Because if I didn't work on it, nobody else would. Um, because the timing is right, because it is relatively easy to accomplish compared to other things that I would need to work on. And in working on this project, I would learn the skills that I need to achieve other bigger goals in the future, right? Recruit a team, um, work on a product, et cetera. And so if I want to build a renewable energy company or a neuroscience company in the future, say 15 years down the road, uh, working on Speechify now will allow me to do that, but it also allows me to solve a problem that I very, very deeply care about. And Frankly, I, I needed the product for myself, and so I built a hacky version that worked for me, and it worked great. Um, but I really want to spread that to other people as well. Amazing. So that's on a macro level how you make life decisions. Now, on a smaller, more day-to-day -day level, how do you make decisions? For example, I just saw you deciding what office to purchase. How did you come to that conclusion? So what office to rent? Okay, yeah, good question. So when in life you are presented with two choices you first of all want to gather as much data as you can. So if we talk about the office, you, you talk to a bunch of realtors, you, you figure out what the square footage is, like does it have an IC, does it not have IC, like is it close to the rest of the team, et cetera. Uh, and you build criteria around which to make the decision. So for example, I know that we are getting an office in the middle of the summer in Palo Alto, so it, it better have an IC, because if it's not, that's a problem. Um, 
And so that was the situation that I was in. And so we had a couple of options. They had uh, varying price ranges. And frankly, none of them were good enough. And so I decided not to make the decision. Um, and so sometimes, when presented with a decision that you have to make, the smartest move is to not make a decision and find a way to present yourself with a third and fifth option um, and delay the need to choose. So what we did instead is we rented an Airbnb for a couple of weeks and we stayed there as I continued to look for office space. And that worked pretty well, um, but it was more expensive. And at the same time, I was like, actively looking, actively looking for, for a place. Um, and so I worked, uh, I talked to all the realtors I knew, I went on Craigslist, I went on Trulia, I went everywhere, couldn't find, couldn't find a place that was adequate enough um, for what we were looking for. And, and eventually like, we had a conversation about it, so I was like, okay, I'm solving this problem, I'm solving it right now. And I think it was a Friday night, and I just started calling agents that I saw representing properties on Craigslist, and it was actually midnight. And so I was calling people and I, I called the phone, someone picked up, I talked to her on the phone and I was like, hey, I see you represent this property. It looks like exactly what we're looking for. Um, is it available? And she's like, no, it's not available. And we needed a three month lease because we're staying in this house in Palo Alto right now that we're working on out of as well. Um, and so I said, okay, well, do you have anything else in inventory? Maybe see if there's an exception that you can make for us. Is there something that is either off the market or not unfurnished, like something like that? And he's like, well, there is this one other property, but they don't do three-month leases. They're at this location. And so I pulled it up online, and I thought that it looked pretty good. And I was like, great, I'll meet you there tomorrow at 9 a.m. And she was like, okay, that sounds good. And so I met her there at 9 a.m. I looked at the property. It looked like exactly what I was looking for. The price range was reasonable. Um, and I asked her, hey, can, so let, let's do this. I'm ready, ready to close on it right now, uh, but it needs to be three months. And she's like, it can't be three months. And I was like, okay, can I talk to the owner? Can I talk to your supervisor? And she was like, uh, and she didn't want to have that conversation with the um, owner. And so we got her to call uh, her boss in, in the agency. And so her boss said no, and that was a bummer. Um, but I still stay there, talk to her, try to see if we could call the boss again. And the boss called back. And she was like, well, he wants to talk to, uh, fine, let him talk to the owner and see if he can convince the owner to do it three months instead of 12 months. So we called the owner. I convinced the owner to let us have it for three months because I gave her logical arguments why and I offered to pay a little bit more. And then we got the, we got the office. Um, and so in that situation, I needed to make a decision of what office to get and I had maybe three options to choose from. And it seemed like those were the only options. But instead I said, actually, no. I'm gonna rearrange this and give myself additional options. Um, and so I did it by buying myself extra, extra time, by being relentlessly resourceful and calling realtors at midnight on a Friday, um, by pushing through no when it was given to me in the situation, and this house didn't have an AC. So I went online, researched, and bought a mini AC that I installed with the rest of the team in the house. Um, so. If I look at another example, right, even going back to the macro examples, choosing what to work on, I had three different options of companies to work on at the time. I decided that none of them created enough value for the world to make me excited about them for the next 10 years. Um, and I also wanted to stay at Brown at the same time. And so I ended up not uh, getting a master's um, because I didn't think it was, it wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, I just went to all the professors I knew and asked them for advice on how to stay. And one of them gave me an option to stay, to be sponsored as a visiting scholar. And I just continued working on projects until I found one that fit exactly what I was looking for. Um, and so how do I make decisions? I look at all the data, I find the right criteria to evaluate the data, I go to smart people who I know who have done it before recently for advice and for people who are experts at that topic. And then if I don't find an option that is good enough for me, 
I buy time and find more options. But at the same time, it looks like there's no hesitation. You're always like in the arena looking for those new options. Yes, that's right. Um, and so you also don't want to be like paralyzed by choice. Um, and so generally the process that I follow is I always have a plan. And that plan is always open to being changed. And so that's the thing that I did when I went into school initially and tried to pick a, what to concentrate in, what to major in. I wanted to do a double concentration in renewable energy engineering and in economics. Uh, and renewable energy engineering was a major that I wanted to invent for myself. And so I started off doing econ classes. I learned three or four econ classes in that I actually didn't learn that much in economics classes. Um, and that the hardest thing for me was CS classes, so I switched to all the classes I would have taken in economics I took in CS. And the renewable energy thing did not get approved like four or five times, and eventually it got approved. And so instead, I ended up doing a Bachelor's of Arts in Renewable Energy instead of a Bachelor's of Science, and I dropped the economics concentration. Um, and that was totally fine with me. Um, and I could have switched to CS, done anything else, but I came in with a plan, and then I was completely open to changing it. Cool. So I think we have one more question. My question is, what is your life purpose? So if I think about it in a, like a more structured way, I have like the, the three top goals that I have in life. And for me, that's number one, make myself the best person that I can be and have kids who are greater than me. Number two is maximize the love in my life, whether it be through family, friends, uh, significant other, etc. And that was number two. Number three is create as much value as possible in the world and elevate the collective quality of life. Um, in the short term, that's most likely by founding tech companies and in the long term, it's by doing more mentoring. Um, but that's not a, a concise answer. So let me see if I can think of like a more, synthesize it even further. I think the, like for me, my life purpose overall is, is to love. And I think that that's truly the thing that gives me the most satisfaction. And I think it's also the thing that I'm the best at. So basically if I'm walking in the street and there's a stranger, like I walk by and my thought process is, okay, I'm going to smile at this person and give them so much positive energy that they can't help but smile back. And then it'll make the rest of the day. Why? Because that's the thing that's going to make me the most happy right now. And I'm not doing anything else anyway, except for listening to my audiobook, and I can do both at the same time. Um, and in a, in a more macro sense, right, like the reason I randomly write medium articles sometimes is because I have a cool idea and I want to share it in the, in, the, in the world and I want to take this knowledge that I have to improve other people's lives. And why do I want to improve other people's lives? Because I, it's like a form of love, um, I guess, at scale, like we talked about in the beginning. And so for me, like my purpose in life is, is, is to love, is to, to, to sh like actively love other people, whether they be people who are geographically or emotionally close to me, or people who are in my intellectual vicinity, or by building products that improve people's lives and impact the world, and, and in that way improve their lives and allow me to love at scale. Great. Cool. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining us for this first uh, episode of the podcast, and thank you for asking very insightful, deep digging questions. Um, to our lovely audi audiences, audience, we are excited that you decided to join us and look out for a new podcast coming soon. <laughs>